0: Hello and welcome to Milwaukee Reps Community Conversations podcast. My name is Courtney McEnary and I'm the Director of Community Engagement here at The Rep. Each season we invite dozens of community leaders to connect the stories on our stages with the stories of Milwaukee through a series of panel discussions. This season we are excited to present the Power and Money series where we are exploring how power and money shape individuals, communities, and society. You can attend Power & Money series events all season long by checking out our events calendar online at milwaukeerep.com, or you can join us from the comfort of your home as we stream the panels on Facebook Live. You can also do what you're doing right now and listen in afterwards via our Community Conversations podcast. Hi, this is Nepper
1: Nelson, the Community Engagement Associate at Milwaukee Rep. Today's panel is entitled Power and & Money and Literacy in Women and is presented in conjunction with our performance of Miss Bennett, Christmas at Pemberley. Panelists who joined us for this discussion are Michelle Morris-Carter, Principal at Golda Mayer School, Holly McCoy, Executive Director of Literacy Services Wisconsin, and Dr. Desiree pointer mace Associate Professor and Associate Dean for Graduate Programs in the School of Education at Alverno College. And it was moderated by yours truly. Enjoy. Great. Thank you all so much for staying. Um, We're really excited to be talking um, to these wonderful women. Today's panel discussion is part of our Power and Money series, which is a year-long series. We're connected to several of our plays this season. We'll be talking about how power and money um, affect our city and our community. as it relates to the themes presented in several of our plays um, this season. But I'd love it if each of you could uh, introduce yourselves and speak about how Jane Austen and other classical women writers have influenced you.
2: Hi, my name is Michelle Morris-Turner and I am the principal at Golden School. And I would say that um, not necessarily Jane Austen, but just the exposure of um, African-American women specifically in literacy definitely um, has impacted me. Um, Being able to see um, women, um, African-American women in particular, um, experience success, really go through a journey of self-discovery and then um, arrive on top was, was very, very important to me. I would say when I was in high school, there was not a whole lot of exposure to African-American literary writers, and um, I absolutely fell in love with Toni Morrison when I was in college. And um, I think um, because of that experience, it has become extremely important to me to ensure that young ladies in particular um, from very young ages are exposed to um, a variety of literary um not only literary genres but um different ethnicities of writers um because it truly does give you a voice in in understanding who you are um really helping you on that journey of self-identification um and especially at i think a critical age of like a college time so knowing that i think was important for me
3: Well, hi everybody. My name is Desiree Pointer-Mace. I'm a professor of education at Alverno College here in, in Milwaukee, a college for women. Um, and so, where everyday women are defining themselves, as we heard uh, Mary describe her work this evening. And I, I would say, first of all, just kudos to the whole production team and the actors. That was delightful. What a fantastic performance. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank you, Nadra, for inviting all of us to be here. Um, I think that I love Pride and Prejudice. I read it, I've I've read other Austen books. I really, really like it. I think that Austen, for her time, is, is literally writing her world and defining herself. We see so much of herself in the character of Elizabeth in the original Pride and Prejudice, and I think Lauren Gunderson has done a wonderful job of kind of carrying that self-definition thread through to Mary in this piece. I think though that what's interesting is that a lot of times we think of Jane Austen as kind of the voice of women pre-1900. And just like the writer Chimamanda uh, Ngozi Adichie talks about like there's a danger of a single story. And sometimes we think of like women writers as being like, oh well of course Jane Austen and, uh, and Toni Morrison, right? But like even as much as I love Toni Morrison also, there are so many stories. Yeah. Right? There are so many stories that need to be told. There are so many women who need to write their own worlds. And I think that literally we can think back to the early 1800s when Austen was writing. How many stories don't we know about of women who were not privileged, of women who were not you know, um, living at the upper echelons of British society? And so I just wonder about those stories. You know? And we depend on historians now telling those stories. Um, But I just really totally liked it so much. And I thought that the opportunities that I have, for example, every day as a professor at a women's college is that I get to witness women writing their own stories every day and I'm gonna pass it on to somebody who is an absolute living example of that because the woman to my left is Holly McCoy who actually was a student of mine at Alverno and I'm so thrilled to see her here as a leader, because she has gone so far beyond um, where she was when we were together as as professor and student. So, Holly.
4: Yeah, both of those are really hard to follow. Um, I am Holly McCoy, I'm the Executive Director of Literacy Services of Wisconsin. And I think I will kind of bring all of that in with just, it. definitely representation matters. We talk about that all the time. And in time and space, one of the most important places that it matters is in literature and in the stories that are told and shared. And literature is such a powerful piece of just like everyone's soul and reading is such an important part of my life and I think back to when I was younger and I was thinking about some of these questions before we came and for me, and it's like the simplest of books, right? But like A Secret Garden. Like when I think about classic novels that for me were just really about um, just discovery and this very like women kind of coming of age and like figuring themselves out, the hot messes that we are and embrace, right? Like that is what I think is, is the best part about some of these stories. And I think that's just how I'm gonna And all that, because that was all good, wonderful stuff right there.
1: So, uh, as many of us know, uh, Jane Austen published anonymously her whole life, and many of that women of that era either published anonymously or under male pen names. Uh, in Jane Austen's Persuasion, the character Anne says, men have had any every advantage of us in telling their own story. Education has been theirs in so much higher a degree. The pen has been in their hands. How has literacy, in your experiences, shaped the power and resources available to women and girls historically and
2: contemporarily? Um, I believe that it, it it's interesting. I mean, I think in so many ways, it's it's still you know so very present. Um, the same types of attitudes and beliefs. And I always like all of my questions as I was reading through these. I'm always trying to relate it back to like how I experience things. Um, you know, through the eyes of children every day. And I think about um, how even in classroom situations, like how equity and voice becomes important, how influence in um, different areas, content areas that are typically male dominated, um, how we, we are consciously Thinking about how we can push more girls into those areas, um, so that they realize that they have an opinion, that they're as intelligent. Um, and so historically, I mean, you saw some of the same things, um, you know, discussed in the play, like the men were the ones, you know, and, and who had the wealth and the power. And we have to expose our girls to these things. Um, and it starts like it's the simplest things um, in terms of like. Um, things that they're introduced to academically, um, it, building their confidence. Um, it was interesting to see um, how one of the characters in the play, oh my God, just her name is escaping me, um, the, Lydia, how she, you know found the confidence in her voice um at the end of the play and like if we can work to build that confidence in girls their ability to to do well in in any area that they want to it will definitely influence them um in the future economically um politically so i think the more we think about it um in a deliberate sense and how we can start building that confidence now we won't repeat um the history that has um you know, been ours as it relates to the imbalance of power. I think, first of all, I love
3: a secret garden, and it's such a beautiful metaphor because I think that literacy is a key, right? And that when you give somebody the tool of decoding the world and being a writer too, like says, this isn't just about being a reader, this is about being a writer and and creating a story of your own. But this is not a problem that is solved. There are so many women and girls around the world for whom that secret garden is locked and inaccessible. And the UN Millennium Goals, and now the Sustainable Development Goals, created as a global issue, um, get at things like gender equity, access to primary education. These are not problems that are solved. Right? You're looking at four women with a lot of access to education and different lived experiences for sure. And yet we inhabit such privilege compared to so many women and girls all around this world. And so what we really need to do is I think use the tools and the literacy powers that we have to advocate for those who need
4: those tools in their hands. And then you know, I, I, have, I have daughters, and we I'm in adult literacy, so we don't serve anyone under 18 and a half. Um, and so, but I see people all the day, every day, coming in with just this lack of confidence. There's, there's something that comes from the ability to read, the ability to feel power and knowledge, And that's a very powerful thing. Uh, Two in five Milwaukee adults are functionally illiterate, which means we have about 200,000 people in our city that read at or below a third grade level. And when you think about that, that in and of itself, um, just the basis for this series, right? When we talk about economics and power and mobility and opportunity and access, Um, many students are first generation high school graduates, not even first generation college students. As a first generation college student, I can tell you that college seemed like this far off goal, and when I achieved it, I was in this state of shock. Our students are coming to us, many of whom had so many things preventing them from being able to move forward academically, and, and women in particular are sharing stories on a daily basis, and they're not my stories, so I definitely wanna also own that in this space, right? They're not my stories. But what I hear is, you know, I had to carry the burden of X. And so I put myself last, and oftentimes putting themselves last has everything to do with academic achievement, with educational goals, and it is disheartening that we live in a society that has all of this access and opportunity, but only if you're this person. And so I think we, as an organization, are really trying to think about how do we increase access and opportunity and meet people where they're at? And how do we make sure that we're encouraging those stories to come forward? So I, there's a thin line between exploitation and really having people share their stories. That's something that I think all nonprofits try to navigate, but at the end of the day, we see more women stepping forward when they're empowered, when they're given a voice, when they step forward and someone doesn't say, wow, she's really assertive, um, or God forbid, the B word. You know, I wear that with a badge of honor, and it doesn't hurt my feelings. I think the, I, I made a joke the other day, why don't we have, uh, you know, it, she's not, what is the bossy leadership campaign they did for young girls. I think we need that just as much for women. I see women every day who need someone to just say, you know what, girl, you're good. Like, you're good, we're good. And we don't do that enough, and I think those stories, we just assume that people are going to come forward and ask for help we also need to be acknowledging when that help is needed and that really just comes from being a giving and loving and caring community and it's so much more than gender it's it's about just like recognizing human beings for this this thing that we all just assume people have, which is literacy and education, and understanding that that isn't the case for everyone, and it's not because they don't want it, it's because we don't do it well enough, and we need to also ask ourselves why that is.
3: I think one of the things you just made me think about is that the choices that we saw on this stage tonight, which by the way, if you came to the pre-show talk, we heard that the, the directorial team and the playwrights and all of this is the first time in the Reps' history that it's been an all-women like production team, yeah. right, um, in 65 years, so that's really exciting. But we also then got to see the cast themselves be an M, like a, like a living example of multi-ethnic sisterhood, where people were connecting and understanding each other as siblings, but also as, uh, as sort of just women trying to make their way. And I found that impactful. Like I sort of, I I don't know, I came prepared to be like, oh, it's gonna be romantic, it's gonna be Christmassy, but that was actually very moving. And if people haven't ever seen um, Silent Sky, which is also written by Lauren Gunderson, this playwright, very similar themes of like women's brilliance and how lonely that can be. And so how powerful it can be when you have a sister, it also happens in Silent Sky, um, who sees you. Who really sees you? And I think that's something that I see actually every day in the women who go to Alverno, for example, because they see each other. And I think that um, for anybody who's in a position of trying to um, basically facilitate and cheerlead women who are in pursuit of their own excellence, that is an honor. And I think that when you when you're in a position of being a nonprofit leader, that's developing people's literacy, and being in a position of like guiding young children towards their own excellence. Man, this is a continuum, you know, that I can really see, and and it's inspiring to be sandwiched here. (laughs)
1: Thank you. Um, How has literacy empowered you
2: in your lives and careers? So I I think I've been a reader um, since I was very young, but um, I think as an adult, um, being a part of like book clubs, mm-hmm. I was just thinking about like I didn't have sisters, but just. Looking at the context of their interaction, um, I had the same kinds of interaction um, with girlfriends and um, older women, and just the intergenerational conversations um, that occurred um, have taught me so many life lessons that um, have given me an opportunity to share things that, you know, with other women um, based on characters that we've read about in the book that mirror experiences, different experiences that people have and so I think um, just a continued love of reading um, in a format with other women um, has definitely been I- impactful um, to me and the second part of the just how it's empowered you and your life yeah and, and, and in my career um, just being um, again a lifelong um, reader and um, with my career, it definitely has um, caused me to, I'm, I'm, I'm a member of an organization and every year we do a literary luncheon. Um, and so I'm you know, i very mindful about taking young ladies again um, to be a part of that. We've established book clubs at other schools that I've been at and I'm very fortunate to work with um, women who also understand the importance of that. I'm, I'm here with a colleague this evening and we were just, um, Um, talking about, um, she's a drama teacher, but how she gives students an opportunity to um, utilize their voice and tell their stories. And so I think because we understand that we are just so mindful about it and we try to incorporate as many experiences, um, and it's probably um, because of experiences that I've had with literature that I came to um, develop a, a a nature of caring and wanting more for people, and you know, learning more about myself—that helped me get to that point, um, which is probably part of the reason why I'm in education um, today. So, I think that that reading and writing are super powerful.
3: Reading um, nonfiction builds knowledge, right? Writing nonfiction builds knowledge. Reading fiction and literature builds empathy. And, and opens doors to other kinds of experience. And I think that that is um, just a, a powerful gift to give to people. And having been a teacher of young children, uh, and being a parent of children, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing to see somebody start to put that stuff together for the first time. And, you know, to really say like, whoa, I could be a writer. Right? I could be a reader. And I actually had a mentor many years ago, who's probably 40 years older than I am. And, uh, and she still plays like two hours of tennis a day. She is a titan. Amazing. And, uh, and she came to me one day, and she said, Desiree, you're going to write a book, and here's what it's going to be about. And I went and talked to my uh, editorial team, and they're OK with it. And she's like, so you need to have a book proposal to Teachers College Press in two weeks. And I was just like <gasps> but I did it. And now I'm an author because somebody believed in me, and that uh, changed my life.
4: I was an English major, and I love books, and I think the common theme that both women have shared is I really love just having conversations about literature and how my experiences are shaped by the things that I read, and I take in and that information. Um, and not to sound like a broken record, but I really think that that's, it's so powerful and it's life changing. Um, and I, when I went back to get my master's degree, also at Alverno, lots of plugs for Alverno, not intentionally. And I don't even know that you knew that I was an Alverno alum. Um, but when, when I went back to get my master's degree, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? but I am like addicted to education in like the best of ways because there was a time where I didn't value it, mainly because I wasn't really sure what my future helped and, and that in and of itself is just really amazing. Like When you realize what you can read, what you can take in, and literacy is about so much more than just reading, right? And th- I think that's the other thing. And we're working as an organization, shameless plug for LSW, but uh, you can also donate books out in the lobby. Um, but we're working to really redefine and reimagine what literacy is. Because people hear literacy, and right away they think, that's reading. True, absolutely, but it's so much more than that. It's, it's, it's how we interact with the world. It's, it's how we, as human beings, are able to perceive information and replicate it. It's, Alverno tells you, it's you know reading, writing, speaking, listening, viewing, and representing. Now, if you think about all of the things that go into that, that's, that's intense. And so really, when we're Thinking about literacy, it's this whole person. It's this whole picture. And if, if you treat it that way, it, it's beyond powerful. I mean, it's, it's everything. So.
3: It's like that map, right? At the end, she <laughs> opens a box, and, and it's the whole world. Yeah. And the only thing I wish is that, like, maybe that she'd given that box to herself. You know? Even in this time, she's given it by her male partner, in in this kind of, you know, tied up neatly with a bow, no criticism really, but like, you know, that honestly, like that's something that we can give to ourselves every day. That you don't have to wait for somebody to show up with a box with a bow.
1: Like, you can give yourself the world. That's so amazing to hear, and everything you're saying is so empowering for me, and and so exciting to hear how much other women have been a part of your journeys as well. which is not something I thought about when I was writing these questions. So, it, that's that's wonderful. Uh, we have a, a couple minutes for a question or two from the audience. Does anyone have any questions for our amazing panelists? So while you think about your question, um, we are going to ask if you if you can spare one or two minutes, I promise it'll only take that long, um, to fill out a quick assessment. We're assessing our Power and Money series um, and everything in it, so your feedback about it could be really, really um, helpful as we move forward. Uh, so Yaleys will be passing that out. But does anyone have a, have a question, one question um, for the audience to leave us with? Favorite author that not enough people know about. Your favorite author that not enough people know about.
3: Give me a minute. <laughs> um, I love reading. Let me think.
1: I feel like that the, they're all shuffling through the giant library. You know who's in their head? You know who,
3: you know who can Yeah, totally, exactly. I think an author that not enough people have read that, made, that wrote this tiny little book that I just loved like 20 years ago, and her name is Banana Yoshimoto, and she's a Japanese writer of short stories, and she has a book called the Kitchen, which is just different in a voice that I'd ever read. Another person that comes to mind is Mary Robinson, who is an Iowan writer. And she wrote Housekeeping, and she wrote Gilead, and she wrote a, like a couple other sequels to Gilead. And she is deeply, deeply thoughtful about spirituality and religion, and in ways that I didn't have access to in my own lived experience. So those are two that come to mind for me. Yeah. yeah How has literacy affected your
2: interactions with other people in the world and in your teaching experience? So I think, um, again, my interactions with other people, I think it's um, given me more to have conversations about. Because when you read a lot, you um, again you do um, gain knowledge about so many different um, aspects of life. So I would say that it definitely has enhanced um, my conversations um, and. Literacy, again, like you said, is more than just about speaking, I mean, about reading. It's definitely about speaking and communicating, um, and when I've traveled the world um, and and had some experiences sharing some of the things that I've seen, I think um, I can root it back to um, literature that I've read, um, different experiences that I've had um, communicating with other people. Yeah, I think, I think for me, it's a really int- like if I listen to what
3: other people are inspired by and then follow their recommendations, it's a really interesting way to forge relationships. I remember many years ago, a lot of my students, actually to speak of popular literature, a lot of my students at Alverno were reading Twilight when it first came out. And I was just like, what is this all about? Oh my gosh. I just, and so I read Twilight. I did not love Twilight, but that's okay. Because they really did. And then we had this connection and I could make jokes about Team Edward and Team <laughs> Jacob and, and Bella and all these sparkly vampires. And they perked up because they were like, oh my gosh, she cares about what we care about. Yes. You know, and it's, and it's just a, a fabulous kind of shortcut into I see you and I listened to you when you said that you like this thing. And then I went and spent my own time to kind of understand you better by reading this book. And it's okay for me not to love it as much as you did but like now I kind
4: of get like this other side of you. I met my best friend in English class at Overdale, and it was literally over literature that we became friends. Primarily because not only were we forced to have conversations about the literature, forced is probably a heavy word, but Challenged Challenged and inspired. It's a Friday night, right? But, But really, we were able to dive so deep so quickly. If you think about how long it takes to trust other people, when you're able to have a common place for which to start a conversation, it allows for depth that just isn't there otherwise. And that's beautiful. And I actually really am realizing that's probably why we're such good friends. We still talk every morning on the way to work, oftentimes about books, Um, but movies, and children, and work, and all of that fun stuff too. But that depth, that's something you can't take away. And it's like the basis for such an amazing relationship. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you all so much. I don't want to keep us any longer on this amazing Friday night, but I think there's so much to, that you all have left us with to ruminate on. So thank you three so much for being here and thank you audience for staying.
0: And thank you, Nav. Thanks for joining us for this community conversations panel as part of the 2018-2019 Power and Money series. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media with the hashtag PowerAndMoneyMKE and tag us at MILWREP to let us know your thoughts. We hope to see you at the rep or on Facebook Live for the next dialogue. But if you aren't able to be there, you can always find our most recent panel discussions here on the Community Conversations podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And remember, there are more ways to get involved with the rep, including post-show dialogues and interactive workshops in the community. Visit our website at milwaukeerep.com and click on the Engage and Learn tab for more information. Until then, stay engaged.